God bless you and welcome to the Solution Radio Show. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Greg Backus, your host. Jesus Christ is the solution for all the situations you and I might find ourselves in. He is God's solution for all mankind, for all time. He stated in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the one who makes a difference. He made a difference in people's lives 2,000 years ago when he lived and walked among people, and he makes a difference today because he was raised from the dead and is seated at God's right hand in the heavenlies. I trust that Christ Jesus makes a difference in your life today, that you see the tremendous love that God has for you, that you come to have a deeper and more full relationship with God as your heavenly Father, that you see your purpose in life is far above the day-to-day circumstances of life. God's love for you, it knows no bounds. Today we have a very exciting program. We'll hear some wonderful music, read some of the Bible together regarding our relationship with our Heavenly Father, and then our interview segment is going to be a panel discussion with three previous guests of the Solution Radio Show, Steve Carter, Ann Sullivan, and Dr. Rob DeManda. It is a lively discussion on prayer, living love in the workplace, and several other topics. It's a segment that I trust you will enjoy. Is God living and real to you? Is your God time just a once a week for an hour activity? Or is it a moment by moment, breath by breath, intimate relationship. You know, in the course of my life, it's been both. There's been times where it was just a once a week kind of thing, putting in the time. And then there have been many times, including today, where it is moment by moment, an intimate relationship. And I've no doubt that you've seen the same in your life. God's desire is that he is always living and real to you in your everyday life. We have a wonderful example in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was always intimately connected to his heavenly Father. If you have your Bible handy and would like to follow along, we'll start out here in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 30, and this verse we'll read from the Amplified Bible. It says, I can do nothing on my own initiative or authority. Just as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just fair, righteous, unbiased, because I do not seek my own will, but only the will of him who sent me. Jesus Christ stated here that he did not seek his own will, but rather the will of his Father who had sent him. I believe that right here we see a key, a tremendous key aspect of an intimate relationship with God as our Father. Jesus Christ craved, he deeply desired to know the will of his Father. God honored his desire. The Father made himself known unto his only begotten Son. And then Jesus, he took it a step further. He was obedient to God's will. He didn't slough it off. He didn't think that he had a better way or that his Father's will was just one way of many possibilities. Jesus spoke and acted as his Father directed. In the Gospel of John, let's uh, turn to chapter 17. Here we'll read verses 1 through 4. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. That's the Gospel of John chapter 17, the first four verses. 
It stated there that Jesus Christ finished the work that his Father gave him to do. His work, it was not just activity for the sake of doing something. His work was the work that his Father directed him to do. He did what God wanted accomplished. His work glorified the Father on earth. Look still in that same chapter, verses 25 and 26. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you have sent me. And I have declared unto them your name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus Christ intimately knew the Father. His relationship with God was rich and full of joy. Jesus declared or made known the heart of his Father to his apostles and his disciples. Really, to know God, look at the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus had a connection, tight communication, with the all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing creator of the heavens and the earth. In Philippians chapter 2, here we're going to see the example of our Lord Jesus Christ in his relationship with his Father and his obedience to his Father's will. All that Jesus Christ did while here on earth was at his Father's direction. It was not an activity for activity's sake. It was activity proceeding out from a relationship. There is tremendous application for each of us today here in what we read in Philippians chapter 2. We'll start here in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Here in verse 5, we are told to have the mind of Christ. What type of thinking did our Lord have? What type of thoughts did he think while here on earth? And what does he think today at God's right hand? He thinks God's word. <laughs> he knows who he is as God's only begotten son. He knows the authority that he has been given. He knows his identity. He knows his purpose. Wow! Wouldn't it be something for us to think as he thinks? To have the thoughts that he has? It's available. We put on the mind of Christ by thinking God's word. It details some of that thinking here in Philippians in verse 6. Who, Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now the equal here in verse 6 does not mean that he was God. It means that he agreed with God. Being in the form of God, well, what was that form? God is spirit. Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry was filled with all the fullness of God. He had all that was available spiritually. Today, being seated at God's right hand, he has a new spiritual body and all the authority that goes with his exalted position at God's right hand. Here in that verse where it says to, to think it not robbery, that means in the sense that he didn't use his position as God's only begotten son for his own personal gain. We too are God's children if we have believed that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and if we have confessed Jesus as Lord of our life, as it states in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. We are not to use our position as a son of God for our own personal gain. In contrast, we serve God. We serve others as our Lord did. We have a relationship with God as Jesus Christ did. Let's go back to Philippians. Let's read verses 7 and 8. But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ was a servant. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the direction of his Father, all the way to death on the cross. 
He's our example. That's how we are to live. We are to be humble, obedient, and to serve. It's available to live a life like that when it comes out of relationship. If we try to live like that just out of activity, out of works, not based on relationship, well, it won't be good because we'll be most unjoyful and miserable and a failure. Even if the work gets done outside of relationship, it becomes a burden and there's no genuine fruit. Let's go back to Philippians verse 9. See what God did here for Jesus Christ. Verse 9, Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God highly exalted the Lord Jesus Christ to his right hand in the heavenlies, and he has given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall absolutely bow. You know, today in this world, some scoff at the name of Jesus Christ. Some have even gone so far as to set rules and laws, prohibiting the name of Jesus being spoken. How foolish! They can only do this because today is the age of grace. It's man's day. There is a day coming when all the scoffers, all those that idly dismiss the name of Jesus, they will bow at his presence. The unbelievers will tremble at the name of Jesus. They will be shook to the very core of their being when that name is spoken. Today, we as God's children are to use the name of Jesus Christ to bring deliverance to people, to bring healing, and then in our prayer to make our requests known unto God in that name. In your relationship with God as your Father, you have the right to use the most powerful name in all the world, Jesus Christ, and then to expect to see signs, miracles, and wonders. Tremendous. Let's continue on. Verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out or demonstrate your own wholeness with respect and obedience. How might we do that? How might we demonstrate the wholeness that we have received in Christ with respect and obedience? The next couple verses give us an idea. Show us, verse 13, For it is God which works in you, both to will and to do, of His good pleasure. It is God by way of His Spirit inside of you that energizes His desire in you to do as He directs. God the Father directs the heart. You talk about a reason to live. God works within you His desire and His will that you might do His good pleasure. What might His good pleasure entail? Love the unlovable, serve in humility, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out devils. The specifics of each of those, and there's many others, will be different for each of us. But it will be God's will and it will be as He directs. I rejoice that we can serve the one true living God. And then if you look at verse 14, it says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. What things? The things that God has worked within your heart to do for Him. In other words, don't grumble about it. Don't argue with God. Just do what He directs, what He works within. That which he works within you will never contradict his word, and it will never be harmful to you. There is great reward in obedience to the one true God, not only today, but throughout all eternity. Continuing in Philippians 2, let's read verses 15 and 16 here. 
that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. In this very, very dark world, we shine as lights. We hold forth the word of life, both by living the word of truth and by being obedient to the direction of the Spirit and by our speaking God's word. All of this in its greatness is found in a relationship with God as your Father. Activity and duty out of misguided compulsion and direction, it will never result in the fullness of joy that is found in fellowship with and obedience to God our Father. Now, how do we cultivate, how do we build a relationship with God our Father? I just want to mention three different ways. Number one, read the Word the Bible. And when you read it, primarily spend your time in the seven church epistles, Romans through Thessalonians. That's what's addressed to you today. When you read it, don't just read it to get through it and accomplish as much chapters and verses as possible. In contrast, you read it slowly. You meditate on it. You think about it. You read it with expectation that God will show you great gems of truth, that he will illuminate your heart to his word, to its meaning and its great depth. Talk to God about what you're reading. Meditate. Think on the words that you're reading. That's number one. Spend time in God's word with the Father. Then number two, throughout the day, talk to God. You know, I talk to him all the time. You know, when I'm in the car driving, I talk to him out loud. But don't do all the talking. Have a peaceful heart, ready to receive his answer, his direction. He will talk to you. And he will work within your heart. He will will teach you on how he can best communicate to you. So throughout the day, number two, talk to God and expect to hear back from him because he will make himself known unto you. Number three, if you pray in the Spirit, and to pray in the Spirit is to speak in tongues, I encourage you, do that much in your private prayer life. It's a mighty, indisputable proof of God's goodness and grace and love. It's prayer that searches the deep things of God, and it makes intercession for God's people according to God's will. It magnifies God, and it gives thanks well. It's a manifestation, speaking in tongues is, of the gift of Holy Spirit, and it is available for all of God's children, not just the chosen few. And if you don't currently speak in tongues and desire to, shoot me an email, and uh, I'll help you out. So three key things there. Number one, read God's Word, the Bible. And when you read it, talk to your father about it, about what you're reading, and expect for him to open the eyes of your understanding. Number two, just throughout the day, wherever you are, talk to God and expect to hear back. And number three, operate the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit by way of speaking in tongues. And you can do that. Every son of God, every daughter of God, it is available for them to operate the Spirit from God. And that is just one of the nine manifestations. Now I know that there are some that will say, I just turned relationship with God into a three-step formula. Well, they are sadly mistaken. What's the heart? What's the motivation behind reading God's Word, talking to God, and praying in the Spirit? If it's a heart of love, and a humble desire to know God as your Heavenly Father, then there will be genuine fruit in your life. You will have a relationship with the Creator of the heavens and the earth. But on the contrast, if the motivation to read God's Word, talk to God, to 
to, to pray is just to fulfill a duty or to look holy in the eyes of others, well, then it's a waste of time. Did Jesus Christ read and know the Scriptures, the Old Testament? Did Jesus Christ talk to God and hear back from His Father? Did Jesus Christ pray? Yes, yes, and yes. All three of those. Yes, absolutely, He did. Well, you now have Christ in you. The Spirit of the living God resides in you. He desires you know Him. God wants to hang out with you. How great is your desire to know Him and to hang out with Him? In His presence is fullness of joy. a diamond in a lump of coal I was dark till you made me shine when you rescued me in the nick of time you took this vessel made of clay and you changed me from the inside oh God you are my life you're my shining path in the dead of night when I lean on you you will lift me up I will drink For you, Lord, I would boldly speak to the hungry. You give words of life to the broken. You give rest and peace. You've given us the good news of your Son. He has risen. Oh God, you are my life. You're my shining path in the dead of night. When I lean on you, you will lift me up. I will drink from your loving cup Today in our interview segment, we have uh, three guests. We're going to have a panel discussion and talk about a few different topics that I think you'll enjoy. Our first guest is Steve Carter. Steve is a minister, pastor, teacher of God's Word, and a successful businessman. Steve is president and CEO of the Carter Group. It's a Chicago-based consulting company with offices in Dallas, Houston, and Minneapolis that specialize in corporate relocation management. He has presented the Purpose of the Ages seminar in many churches throughout the country. Steve is also a member in the Values Driven Leadership PhD program at Benedictine University. 
Our second guest on the panel is Ann Sullivan. Ann is the author of the book Permission to Doubt, and she writes a blog titled Simple Truths. She has worked as a teacher and international conference speaker for over 15 years. Ann also served as a coordinator and trainer for the women's ministries at Elmbrook Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin, an outreach that ministers to over a thousand women every week. After growing up in a Christian home, Ann studied history and philosophy at a secular university where her faith was challenged on every level. After graduating, her doubts followed her as she battled through a 13-year panic disorder that was fueled by an undiagnosed heart condition. Anne asked the difficult questions, and she followed the evidence to its logical conclusion. She emerged with a refined faith in Christ and a love for the core teachings of Scripture. And our third guest today is Dr. Rob DeMonda. Dr. Rob is the clinic director at DeMonda Chiropractic Health and Wellness Center in Naperville, Illinois. He graduated from the National College of Chiropractic in 1978. He also attended the University of Buffalo he is certified by the ICPA Pediatrics and has a certification in preventive nutrition. Dr. Rob also is certified to perform electromedicine and microcurrent pain treatment. DeMonda Chiropractic is a Christ-centered clinic that ministers to their patients with the love of God. I'd like to welcome Steve, Ann, and Dr. Rob. Hello, Greg. Hello, Craig. Good, Good to be here. Great to have you with us today. And we're just going to sort of throw these questions out and very interested to, to get your input and your perspective and, and your heart regarding some of these topics. Uh, the first one, how can Christians in the workplace exhibit leadership that will lead others to Christ? I think integrity and honesty and, and showing excellence is paving a way for people to look at you and get attracted to what you're doing. And then when they know you and they see your love and they see your integrity and they see your intent, then they're more open to hearing the gospel, which in my office I re release very, very freely <laughs> and every day. Great. Uh, Steve or Ann? Well, I think being an example speaks louder than any words you can speak. And I think how leaders conduct themselves, particularly in how much they truly selflessly care for the people that they're leading, managing, whatever, um, is the most demonstrable way to represent Christ to people. Uh, it's going to be more impactful. And obviously, anybody who's doing that out of a love for Christ isn't going to hesitate to tell people, you know, why do you, why are you the way you are? They will give acknowledgement, well, I'm the way I am because of the love of Christ that's in me, and it's kind of how I roll. So I think too many people, I feel, have a, a sense of obligation or duty that they're supposed to uh, proselytize at work, and they find that to be a difficult situation, particularly leaders who have the pulpit, so to speak, in the platform, and it's remarkably simple. Just love people. Mm -hmm. And awesome. it's the love that's going to show your discipleship. Yeah, I, I would add uh, with that same idea um, are you the kind of person you would want to be following? You know, is there something that's drawing people to you that I think I think we earn the right to be heard mm -hmm. in and out of the marketplace. I, I think we mm -hmm. um, we open up uh, the gates by just being authentic and, and caring. And I think those are uh, those don't sound like the kind of uh, qualities that you learn about in leadership seminars. But, you know, that that is really the really the truth. Are you the kind of person that you would want to lead or that you would want to follow and be that kind of leader? Mm -hmm. You know, I think also, too, that people looking for answers. And if we just, you know, walk in love and be willing, mm -hmm. they're going to be responsive. Right, right. And I, I think what you're saying there sort of ties into our next question because really it's as we live the word in our lives and people see that there's something different about us and in that context uh, and just in the environment of our culture do you think that political correctness may have at times stymied Christians not only in the workplace but also outside the four walls of the church and if so how can we overcome the fear of speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ to others that has been caused by that political correctness in the culture today. Well, you know, we were talking about that a little bit earlier, and I think that uh, we are so bombarded with information, news, mm -hmm. social media. People hear so many different views, and 
I always encourage people to look at things from as many different angles and show them that I do the same thing. I think if you are um, winsome in your way of looking at, uh, for example, would I pick just one news program that I do all of my digesting from? Okay, you may agree with that, but you need to know what everybody's thinking. You need to be able to, to talk about those things so that, uh, again, you've earned the right to be heard. And uh, the political correctness thing, <laughs> it may in a sense be starting to have sort of the opposite effect because I think people are PC'd out to some extent. So, you know, to be able to build on something um, along those lines is a really good idea, too. I was just thinking that it's, for, for me, it's connecting with that person. Um, when, when you do everything that you can with the love of Christ in you to connect with people, then trust begins to grow. And when trust begins to grow, it's like a correctness doesn't even have any meaning anymore. The only thing that's really correct for me is the Word of God. But when that, when you connect, you're you're showing somebody that you're sensitive to their pain, to their suffering, to their issues in their life. And then from there, from that, that trust, you can begin to share uh, the life of Christ with them. So um, I think also the fear of man is just got to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. uh, the fear of man is a snare, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we cannot fear. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, Greg, to use the word political in the context of of demonstrating the love of Christ. Hmm. What does politics have point. to do with it? Um, but when you do make it political, when you decide that what your job is as a Christian is to somehow pontificate a particular message, right, a doctrine, um, that you know some of the hearers are going to either disagree with or feel like, well, that's not your place to foist that upon me or anybody else because that's not, you know, that's not right. Then I can see why that you'd be hesitant to do it because, um, but if that's really what you've been taught, that that's your job as a, you know, an ambassador for Christ is to speak a particular message to people and, uh, and basically endeavor to get them to agree with that. Well, now you are kind of in the realm of human politics because now you're talking about issues and, well, here's how I think the issue is. And to me, it's just so much more pleasant uh, to love people and to be compassionate and, as Dr. Rob said, to connect with them. Then, there, you know, what's PC have to do with connecting with human beings, mm -hmm. to be right. honest with you? Great perspective. Sort of to tie in with what you said, it's living the word and then looking for that open door to, to speak the word because the, the word is what brings the deliverance ultimately. I mean, it's the love of God that we manifest in our lives, I believe, that will attract people to us or to God because they see that love living in us. And when you all three of you were talking, I thought of in Galatians chapter 5 where it talks about the, the fruit of the Spirit. And it says, against such there is no law. You know, you can That's live good. that love, you can live that patience, you can live that peace, you can live that believing, and there is no law against that. And mm -hmm. it doesn't matter whether political correctness ties into it or not. Right. You know, along with that, you know, Jesus recognized the, 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 the truth of people whenever he, wherever he went. He recognized their talents and their abilities. He recognized their difficulties. And uh, when you do that, when you go and recognize their their uh their gifts and just start out with wow you know you are really very talented in this all of a sudden you know i mean they, they just never met a god that loves them and they need to meet the lord who mm -hmm. loves them and you can be that vessel of bringing his love to them just by recognizing who they are and what god has been given to god has given to them now all three of you are successful in your chosen field of endeavor in what ways can you tell us you've seen God as being instrumental in your success? I, I think God has had to redefine success for me over and over mm. again. I think at different times of my life, success has looked like something uh, different. And, um, yeah, he has been instrumental in opening and closing doors, but it hasn't always been easy. You know, you think an open door means clear sailing. For me, it's quite the opposite. It was those those times of struggle that refined my faith and prepared me for the next task, task that I had. And I, yeah, I think he's been instrumental in that sense, just being in control and me committing it to him. And, and uh, yeah. Great. That's a beautiful comment. And I really appreciate that. I think that we do go different stages in our life. And we see that that success is redefined by many, many different things. 
I'm, I'm at this point in my life, uh, I'm looking at, at my legacy and what I can you know, leave to my grandchildren and about passing a, a health care facility and, and practice over to my children. And my daughter, Dr. Lisa Center, works with me, and we just have a wonderful relationship. In fact, I have three other children that work with me. We have six children. But um, without Christ, we can do nothing. With him, we can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but without him, I can do nothing. And I know that I've learned to place all of that on his shoulders. I've learned to see him as my source. He writes my paycheck. He provides for me. He's my provider. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really working very hard to get out of that the Babylonian system, so to speak, where I'm depending on other things. I'm depending on the Lord. And in doing so, that, that dependency allows you to trust him, and then he leads you, and he brings you to that place of success that you want to be. Great. I guess, Greg, for, for me, in my work with my firm, the Carter Group, probably the best way I could describe how God has helped me be successful, and of course, how do you define success? It's not, certainly not material when we're dealing with things of the Spirit or um, Although, if you have a business, it's important to be able to pay the bills and the people that work for you and all that. So prosperity is an important aspect. But more than anything, Greg, I think God showed me that I had, unbeknownst to myself, I had bought into what is probably an 1,800-year-old theological, what I would consider to be deception, which is that there's a divide between the sacred and the secular. And I think a lot of Christians and a lot of Christian business people who, who occupy a great deal of, a lot of their time is occupied by interacting with the world and dealing with worldly things. And there's a nagging sense many times, particularly the more committed you are as a Christian, that, you know, I'm spending so much time and so much effort and so much of my energy goes into these endeavors that historically and traditionally in the church have been considered or construed as, as secular. And I got what God was able to show me a number of years ago was that this is my ministry. This is my platform. There's a reason that he has prospered my way. It's not be, not for business success in the in the sense that most people think of. It's because this is the platform from which I can speak for him. There is no divide between sacred and secular. And, you know, I think in the Bible, I think it's 1 Corinthians 10, 31, where it says, whatever you eat or whatever you drink, you know, do all to the glory of God. Now, isn't that interesting? Something as mundane, something that even the beasts of the field do. Mm -hmm. You can't get more kind of mundane mm -hmm. than that. And God says, even in doing those things, you can give glory to me. And I think what his message was, is that you can glorify me in any situation at any moment, no matter where you are, what you're doing. It's a matter of, did you, have you sanctified me in your heart. And if you have, then there is no secular because you're on holy ground wherever you go. And when I began to see that business is simply my opportunity to be a, a witness for Christ, and it's, it's the arena that God actually has uh, developed for me to do that, I ceased looking at it as a business, and I just saw it as, well, that's, that's my ministry. God's yep. involved in every aspect. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate um, what Steve just said, for me, most of my work has been in ministry, quote-unquote. So it has felt uh, very freeing to be able to talk about the things. I mean, these people are there because they want to be there. They're not there because that's where they're going to get a paycheck and they just need to get it done. Uh, ironically, I'm starting to move more into doing more secular speaking and corporate speaking, and that was beautifully stated. Holy ground is wherever you're standing and where Christ is in your heart and how he sanctifies you for each uh, next step. It's all success if you're walking with God, the, the good and the bad times. So, yeah. Excellent. Uh, could each of you name another Christian man or a woman who has had a tremendous impact on you as a leader? Uh, why and how did this person impact your life? I was uh, blessed with a wealth of, of leaders in my life who I've been able to follow uh, raised in a wonderful Christian home, uh, high-functioning, very gracious. Um, my pastor was uh, Dr. Jay Kessler, and he married my husband and I. He was uh, president of Taylor University. And I went right from him to uh, Stuart Briscoe's church in Milwaukee. So to whom much is given, much is required. These people have had a huge impact on me. 
And Jill Briscoe, who was in charge of the women's ministries where I began my ministry, she was uh, instrumental in, in teaching me what it is to walk with God and to commit your way to God. And uh, yeah, I've, I've really been blessed with some heavy hitters. That's great. There's Dr. Rob here. Uh, I think the one person that really influenced me the most was my dad. His love for the Lord um, and then his love for my mom just really had a great impact in my life. And then through, uh, through the, the growth, uh, through, after I got saved at college, um, of course, many ministers come into our lives. And oh, I, Kenneth Copeland and uh, uh, you know, Bill Winston, my present pastor, tremendous men of God that have influenced. But you know, I think along the way, uh, you're influenced by so many believers, and it's such a good thing. And I think that if we can learn to listen and hear from our brothers and sisters, we're going to really grow a lot. I think I've probably learned the most from my patients <laughs> than I think anything, because they were had the courage enough to say, what about this or what about that? And it wasn't only just a, uh, a health issue that they were dealing with, but it could have been a spiritual issue. So, But I, my belief is that, hey, I need to humble myself and receive from them and then I'll grow so but you know having godly parents and a godly background like you were saying uh, and it's just it's 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 something that we shouldn't take for granted many people don't but that's okay because God can can start you on a quick growth program right, <laughs> if you right. get saved today so but I appreciate you sharing that it's a tough question because it depends on season of life right over the seasons of my life I've had so many people who've influenced me and just deeply changed my life. Um, probably more recently, I guess um, I would say a guy named Dan Moeller has had a huge mm -hmm. impact on my life. I think I first got exposed to Dan maybe seven years ago or so, seven or eight years ago. And, you know, the timing is, is, was perfect for it as uh, I think the head of the body of Christ, Jesus Christ, is, is really good at exposing us to the right people at the right time. So he's had tremendous impact on my life. I think in general, um, being exposed to so many different Christian leaders who are in different walks of life. I mean, for me, it's so important for members of the body of Christ to see that wherever they are is holy ground. And there's there's been too many centuries, I think, of where the church has been somewhat stuck in terms mm. of place and that there has to be a certain place, you know, at, you know, at which or during which, you know, God and, and the Lord Jesus Christ really are at work. And the fact is, it's, you're the holy ground. I mean, everywhere we are is holy ground. And so I think people who have espoused that for me have been the most Im impactful in my life. That's wonderful, all three of you. Thank you. Now, there's a lot of different characteristics that are displayed in a leader's life. What would each of you think be the one that you see as being necessary for a leader uh, to display in their life? And it may be different for each of you, but what you've seen in your own life or in others that lead either in the church or lead within the work environment? Well, I think, again, um, depending on your situation, you might look at this differently. Are you in ministry or in the workplace? Are you the leader of your family, raising kids? But what Steve's point is, is they aren't separate. We are, we integrate those in every way. But, I, you know, I, I really, what I respect in a leader is someone who is authentic and someone who is approachable. Um, if, if it's something that someone, I can tell they've gotten that position of leadership and they're going <laughs> to use it for all it's worth. They've been waiting for it. They earned it. And by golly, you're going to enjoy it. Right. Um, but, there, but there are other leaders that are, um, you know, that servant leadership, that kind of humility where you're drawn to them. You want to hear what they have to say again. You know, you earn the right to be heard as a leader. You don't just force things on people in any sense. So, yeah, I, I think all those, those, those characteristics of being authentic and approachable and to live what you say and to say what you live, uh, that there isn't a the guy who goes to church and then he does something completely different during the week. I think you, you really respect a leader and, and uh, when you see that they are completely who they say they are. You know, I think, this, Dr. Rob, I think along what you're saying here, Anne, about being approachable, I mean, are you living what you're saying? And that's very, very important. I really think that uh, one of the things that is very important for me is to, to really 
know what being a servant leader is. Because I, I have seen some of the greatest leaders that I've respected and come to know just serve the most and give the most. And uh, I remember just reading a book by Lee Iacocca, that guy that turned over the Chrysler Corporation some years ago. But the neat thing about him, too, about you were saying, Anne, about being approachable, he rolled up his sleeves and went right down to the conveyor belts and to the assembly lines. And he, was, he says, I want to know what's going on here. And I think that that's something that a leader doesn't do. In fact, some of the leaders that, that I don't respect don't do. But they're detached from what their, their people they're trying the people that they're trying to lead and I think that's a really really sad thing and I think what you need to do is to to really be not only approachable but you know to be willing to roll your sleeves up and to just um, uh, connect with that person and to serve even more than you know get get there earlier so to speak you know so I think servant servant leadership uh, to me means the most what do you think pastor (laughs) (laughs) well I think um if you were, if I were to come up with one quality that I think characterizes um, the great leaders that you see in the scripture, it's humility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think humility is required to be a servant leader. Uh, humility is required to be a leader who is going to bestow the most important thing that they can bestow, which is the love of Christ into a situation. Um, That's awesome. And I think, you know, it's very difficult. I think, Greg, to for Christian leaders to grasp some some of these things because the you know the greatest the greatest um, humble and you know leader of humility was Jesus Christ, and yet he he was the Lord. He was you know he's Jesus Christ for heaven's sakes, and and yet he was so humble in his approach. So you see the attributes of Christ and you don't see a lack of courage. You don't see a lack of forthrightness. You don't see a lack of, you don't see hesitation to boldly speak or to get involved. Um, But on the other hand, he he was amazingly humble, you know, and he he declared that, you know, without God, he's he's got nothing, you know, of of himself, I can do nothing. So that kind of humility, I think, is, is really what makes great leaders. I think it's a it's a model of leadership that you don't see a whole lot mm-hmm. in you certainly don't see in the world um and unfortunately I don't think you see a lot even in the in the church um but I think that's that's the greatest thing that uh, a leader can have is that humility Wonderful. Now, I know that uh, all three of you are praying individuals <laughs> that you've got a relationship with the Father. Uh, how has prayer influenced uh, your decision making, just your day-to-day living? I know just um, for me, praying in the Spirit uh, is literally changed everything in my entire life. I, I realize sometimes people ask you, what does you know, praying in the Spirit mean? What does praying in tongues mean? To me, it's like a, a small baby that just cries out, and the mom has got that good ear, and they say, well, that's the cry of the baby when the, the, my baby's hungry now, or the baby's wet right now. Well, sometimes our words make us stumble and we just need to have our spirit cry out to God and lately I've been you I've been realizing that my praying um, in other tongues is like sending missiles out and doing things that I don't even know about I do know on a very practical level with praying with my family uh, we have huddles in the morning with uh, my my associate doctor Dr. Lisa and my staff uh, before we even begin the the, the day and so we're praying for our patients. We're praying for their families. Needs come up all the time. You know, someone says, would you pray for me? And while we take that seriously, we want to really do that. So I think prayer uh, connects us with heaven, and it allows us to, uh, to bring heaven down, in a sense, to touch those lives at wherever we're, whatever we're doing. Great, great. Prayer in the Spirit is so powerful. <laughs> I looked at this question and I am a little challenged by it because um, it's very much like the story that I shared with you the last time when we were talking about my book and we were talking about what it means to pray continuously. Mm. And and I tell the story of being really homesick at camp as a little kid and uh, the one bright spot of the entire um, summer was the the camp counselor who was 
beautiful, long brown hair. She was brilliant. She knew everything. She was 17. You know, we were in awe of her. And she taught us what it means to pray without ceasing. And and the Mm -hmm. way she did that was she said, in the morning, I begin my day with prayer before I even step out of bed. I say, Lord, here I am. I commit myself to you. I pray for your your guidance, your leading, your conviction. Um, And then I share things with him or listen to him all day long. And I don't say amen until I get back in bed at night. And, you know, here we were, nine-year-old kids, and that has stayed with me forever. And that is my prayer life. It is such a part of me. There are times where you set time aside to have a special kind of one-on-one with God. And those things, as God draws you, as he convicts you, as you, as he uses struggle in our lives to, to get our attention, all those things are important, and having people pray for you, all those things. But, but living a life that's continually in sort of a prayerful mode really, really shapes me. Wonderful. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always an interesting question when I get asked about prayer. For me, I kind of think of prayer as an ongoing attitude um, where your, your mind and your heart's kind of directed toward the heavens, toward God. And, uh, and it's, it's more of a relationship than it is an activity. It's more a frame of mind and heart than it is something you do. At least that's how I see it, um, and that's how I practice it. So it's more of an ongoing and as much as you can. I mean, it's not to say there's not moments where, you know, I'm, I'm completely in my own mind, you know, and God hasn't placed there. But I think what you try to do is you try to live in the spirit of prayer. And uh, I think that's a George Mueller statement, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. And so to expand prayer to being from an activity to being more of a relationship and from being something you do to something that you kind of are in the spirit of, I think is, uh, for me, has been really helpful. So I see it as more of an ongoing kind of standing in the presence of God situation. Um, and then whatever comes up, comes up. Sometimes there are very, I feel very moved to have a distinct prayer about a situation. But more often than not, it's more of just an ongoing kind of cognizance and sense of, you know, what's what's going on? What should I do? How about that? <laughs> so that's how I think about it. Thank you, all three of you. Some wonderful insight there. Yes, Ann? You know, I will say that some of, some of the times um, we get, and, and I talked about this in my book, Permission to Doubt, and I heard uh, something that Steve had to say about the sovereignty of God. Sometimes I wonder if people are tripped up because they're wondering if our prayers make any difference. Is it going to change God's mind? Is it going to change me or the situation? When you look at Scripture, of course, the answer to all those questions is yes. How that works itself out in the practical sense truly isn't something we're supposed to be uh, concerning ourselves with, the mind of God. But the absolute privilege of being able to be in his presence and to be invited there mm-hmm. is, should make all the difference. Mm-hmm. Now, in closing... Um, what would each of you have as far as words of encouragement that would bless our listeners to hear today? Well, um, I wrote a scripture down here. I think I believe this is in the Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. I think we live in a, a uh, abundant information age. Um, I would advise people to watch less news on TV. Uh, there's a lot of negative coming down all the time, and we've got to keep our eyes on the Lord. We've got to pray his word. We've got to trust him with all of our heart. We have to make a decision in our, in our lives to believe God's word as the final authority. I think if Christians really start to do this, they'll have a much better uh, understanding of what's going on. They'll be able to live and accomplish what God wants them to uh, with a greater strength. Wonderful way to live. Thank you, Dr. Rob. I'm not sure I could add to that. That's, uh, that's well said. Uh, those words of encouragement would be, you know, we're going to have lots of trouble in this world, but to be encouraged, uh, Christ has overcome the world. So Amen. when you know you can, you know, keep your eye on the one who gives that promise, it will shape your entire life. Thank you, Ann. That's great. I guess when I think about talking to people and encouraging them with, reg- with regard to God, I, I often just try to explain to people that it this is a relationship-based reality and is it is is true in all loving relationships we don't love because first and foremost of what we do Uh, we love because of who we are 
and who you are and and think about it from the standpoint of uh, when you're a parent and you know the first child comes along and and the the love you have for that child well that child has done absolutely nothing for you in fact it's probably cost you some money <laughs> and some time and you you. <laughs> if you're the female uh, some pain and yet there's this amazing bond of love that develops and that's how god thinks of us so it's you know i think it's so important when i try to encourage people to see life as as simple as it's a relationship based situation with god and his desire for us is far more powerful far more compelling and loving than anything we could muster up in response but all he asks is that we we seek him with our whole heart and allow him to be who he wants to be for us which is this all-encompassing all absorbing god of love and uh if you do that, then you let your life play out, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be really an amazing life, more than you could ask or think. You know, maybe we should all remember who won the race. We win. I mean, that's the end of the story. Jesus wins, and if we hook onto that, um, that will really be an encouragement. Yeah, Hebrews. Uh, what is it? Hebrews twelve. Looking unto yes. Jesus, the author and finisher Amen. of the faith that's that right. is set before that's us. Right. Well, I want to thank all three of you so much for being a part of. This week's show. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for having us. Thank Thanks, you, Dr. Rob. Thank you, Ann. Great to be here. Thank you. God bless all three of you. Hold it all together. Everybody needs you strong. But life hits you out of nowhere and barely leaves you holding on. And when you're tired of fighting, chained by your control, it's free. Lay it down and let it go So when you're on your knees And answers seem so far away You're not alone Stop holding on and just be here Your world's not falling apart It's falling into place I'm on the throne Stop holding on and just be here Just be Just be here. If your eyes are on a storm, you wonder if I love you still. But if your eyes are on the cross, you know I always have and I always will. And not a tear is wasted. In time you'll understand. I'm painting beauty with the ashes. Your life So far away, you're not alone. Stop holding on and just be here. Your world's not falling apart, it's falling into place. I'm on the throne. Stop holding on and just be here. Just be here. Just be. Thank you for joining us today on the Solution Radio Show, and thank you to Steve Carter, Ann Sullivan, and Dr. Rob DeManda for sharing their heart and life in our panel discussion. All of the Solution Radio Shows are archived at thesolutionradioshow.com, where you may re-listen at your convenience. There are also links to the websites of our guests, musicians, and sponsors. Also on the website, there is a page for upcoming events. A reminder that the Praise Line is open 24 hours a day where you may call in and give a testimony of God's working in your heart and life. The number is 844-705-3410. Please continue to keep in your prayers the expansion of the Solution Radio Show. The Solution Radio Show is listener supported both by your prayers and your financial giving. Thank you for your support. It is greatly appreciated. All financial donations are tax deductible. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 9002, Naperville, Illinois 60567. Once again, that address P.O. Box 
9002 Naperville, Illinois 60567. Also, there is a donation link available on our website. Have an awesome rest of your day. God bless you. You are God's very best. Thank you.